Hello and welcome to the Prospect Sermons Podcast, the preaching ministry of Prospect Baptist Church. This podcast is dedicated to the faithful exposition of the scripture and the edification of the local church. This is Parker Smith, Senior Pastor of Prospect Baptist, located in Fayetteville, Tennessee. I want to say a word of thanks to Nathan Posey for providing the intro and outro music for this podcast. Our prayer is that the sermon you're about to hear will help you grow in your understanding of God's Word, point you to the person of Jesus Christ, and encourage you to live for the glory of God. We hope you enjoy this episode of the Prospect Sermons Podcast. with us. I want to say a word of welcome to you. My name is Parker Smith. I'm senior pastor here at Prospect. And just a word of welcome. If you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to turn them on, turn them to uh, Isaiah chapter 9, looking at verse 6. We're going to begin a new sermon series, an Advent series, and we're going to walk through this Isaiah 9 passage, highlighting these four descriptors, or these four names that are given within this passage. The word Advent, uh, maybe it's a foreign term to you, but it's a word that simply means begin or a dawning or an arrival. Uh, in the Latin, it just means to come. Historically, Christians have recognized two advents, if you will. The first is the coming of our Savior to the earth, uh, God incarnate, the person of Jesus Christ, in which we most are familiar with celebrating this Advent season, this time of preparing uh, for His coming. But also, historically, Christians have also recognized a second advent, namely the coming or the return of Christ that we anticipate, uh, the hope that's coming with the return of our Lord and preparing for the eternal state. Uh, with that in mind, I want us to read Isaiah 9, verse 6. If you would, just stand in the reading uh, in honoring of reading of God's word. Isaiah 9, verse 6 says this. It says, For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that you would help us this morning. That you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Father, that we would see your Son exalted. As we look at Isaiah 9, that we would look beyond the proximate fulfillment and see the ultimate and final fulfillment of this text, namely your Son, Jesus Christ. We would see Him exalted and He would go before us and make a way because He is the way, the truth, and the life. I pray that as we examine this text that your Spirit would help us to receive your Word and to obey your Word and to apply your Word in all of our lives. And we'll thank you for it in advance. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, I want to do something maybe a little bit different this morning. I want to do mainly our first point uh, this morning. We're going to do some historical digging. And the reason we're going to do that is because we need to understand the historical significance of Isaiah's prophecy. When you understand the context in which Isaiah is writing and prophesying, you really unpack the fullness of what Isaiah is getting at. Isaiah's ministry, his prophetic ministry, spans the, the, the length of four kings in the kingdom of Judah during the 8th century. Much of Isaiah's prophetic writing was recorded during what's noted as the Syro-Informatic War or the Syro-Informatic Crisis during the reign of King Ahaz. In 722 BC, Assyria was conquering the entire region, and namely the northern kingdom of Israel. 
And it started to represent an imminent threat to the southern kingdom of Judah as well. And the big picture of what you'll see this morning is the integral loss of the worship of the southern kingdom of Judah at, from the reign of King Ahaz. Isaiah is warning of a similar judgment that is coming to the southern kingdom of Judah, and they too will eventually be overtaken by Babylon in the future. But the book of Isaiah is highlighting the problem of Israel's sin and Judah's sin, but also offering at the same time this message of salvation and hope. That Yahweh is both just and He's merciful. That He can be trusted and He is faithful. That He is true and that you can depend on Him. And you should not seek salvation from other nations or other kings, but you should trust the one and only King, the one and only God. And what Isaiah is proposing to Judah and proposing to Ahaz, though they will not listen, is to trust the Lord. Trust the Lord, even though there is political circumstances and national crises going on, this seroinformatic crisis, this war that is going on. Don't put your trust in Assyria or any other nation. But instead, they will succumb to that and it will lead to their ruin. I want us to show you that this morning by looking at three turns or three pivots or three points if you want to call them that. But the first one is this. In this text, Isaiah 9-6, this wonderful counsel is unpacking of Isaiah 9-6. What is it that we might see in here? I want us to see the might of a better king. Ahaz is the king of Judah. And he is on the throne um, according to 2 Kings chapter 16. If you want to be turning there, you can take a look at that. But Ahaz was a bad king for the people of of Judah. He did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. This is 2 Kings chapter 16, verses 1 through 4. In the seventeenth year of Pekin, the son of Remaliah, Ahaz, the son of Jotham, king of Judah, began to reign. Ahaz was 26 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 16 years in Jerusalem, and he did not do what was right in the eyes of the Lord his God and his father David has done. But he walked in the way of the kings of Israel, but he even burned his sons as an offering according to the despicable practices of the nations whom the Lord drove out before the people of Israel. And he sacrificed and made offerings on the high places and on the hills of every green tree. The context within this passage, the story is continuing of a divided kingdom. Israel in the north and Judah in the south. And Ahaz is foolish enough and refuses to trust the Lord is what you see within this. He was a bad king. Not like some of the kings of Judah. He started following in the lines of the kings of Israel, doing what was evil in the sight of, of the Lord. And Assyria at the time was threatening and posturing to take over the entire region. The king of Assyria at the time was a guy by the name of Tiglath-Pileser III. He is known as Pul in 2 Kings chapter 15. And he is taking control of the entire region. And he has his eyes set on a particular point, a trade route, if you will, in the heart of the northern kingdom of Israel. So he begins to pursue the kingdom of Israel to take it over. Well, the northern kingdom is a little bit anxious about this, so they form basically an alliance or a coalition of nations. They're both Rezin and Pekin, the new kings of Israel, form this coalition of nations within the area to guard against or challenge the Assyrians that are taking over. 
and part of their coalition of nations, what they did to posture against the Assyrians was they went and invaded the southern kingdom of Judah. You see this in Isaiah chapter 7, verses 5 and 6. It says, Because Syria with Ethereum and the sons of Remaliah, there's the alliance, so there's Syria along with Ethereum and, and Remaliah, has devised, e- devised evil against you, saying, Let's go up against Judah and terrify it, and let's conquer it for ourselves, and set up the sons of Tebel and the ki- as kings in the midst of them. And so this war begins to break out, and Judah's fate seems imminent. In the same way that the northern kingdom has fallen, it looks as though Judah could potentially fall as well. And Isaiah is is proclaiming to Ahaz, and he's proclaiming to the people of Judah, trust the Lord here. Don't trust in the foreign gods or the foreign kings. Trust God to deliver you. He is going to be faithful to you, but you need to trust Him. And Ahaz, despite the plea of Isaiah, wouldn't listen. And you see this in 2 Chronicles chapter 28. You see the seroinformatic crisis and the, and the fallout from that. This is 2 Chronicles 28, begin reading in verse 16. It says, at that time, King Ahaz sent to the king of Assyria for help. Instead of trusting the Lord, he sought out the king of Assyria. From the Edomites that had again invaded and defeated Judah and carried away captives, and the Philistines had made raids on the cities in in Zephalah and the Negev of Judah. And he had taken Bathsheba, Agion, Gedaroth, Sarkoth, and its villages, Timnon with its villages, Gimzo and its villages, and they settled there. For the Lord humbled Judah because of Ahaz, king of Israel. For he made Judah act sinfully when he had been very unfaithful to the Lord. So here it is, Tiglath-Pileser. There's the king of Assyria. King of Assyria came against him and afflicted him instead of strengthening him. So what happened? He reached out to Assyria for help. And instead of Assyria helping them, he actually worked against them. For Ahaz took a portion of the house of the Lord and the house of the king of the princes and gave tribute to the king of Assyria, but it did not help him. It leads to the next section of Ahaz's idolatry. In the time of his distress, he became yet more faithless to the Lord. Instead of trusting the Lord as Isaiah had proclaimed and and begged of him, he began to trust in the Assyrian kings and he became less and less faithful to God. Yea, he became more faithless to the Lord, this same king Ahaz. For he sacrificed to the gods of Damascus that had defeated him and said, because the gods of the kings of Syria helped them, I will sacrifice to them that they may be a help to me. But they were the ruin of him and all of Israel. Despite the pleading of Isaiah and the offering of Isaiah. Isaiah, trust God, Isaiah would say to King Ahaz. But Ahaz instead, he would trust in the foreign gods and the deliverance from Piglath, Pileasar the third. And yes, he would march in swiftly. And yes, he would save Judah, if you will, from that day. He would invade Syria. He would capture Damascus. He would execute judgment on King Rezin. 
And in order to pay tribute to Assyria, Assyria says, well, what will you give me in return? And Ahaz turns and says, we'll give you all of our stuff. We'll give you the temple. We'll give you the palace and the nobles. But it still wasn't enough. He says, what will you give me? And Ahaz turns in idolatry and, and essentially says, what about our worship? And in doing so, defiled the integrity of the worship of God's people. And instead of worshiping the true God, they are now bowing before an earthly throne and an earthly kingdom to the king of Assyria. And Isaiah is in his prophetic ministry saying, no, 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 no. Trust the Lord, Judah. Trust, trust the Lord, Ahaz. I know that there is political turmoil. I know that there's national turmoil. I know that there's chaos that is ensuing. There's this war that's raging right now. But Isaiah is turning to Ahaz. He's turning to the people of Judah and to the people of Israel and saying, Trust the Lord. In Isaiah 7, he says, Emmanuel is coming. God with us is going to be here. Trust Him. Don't succumb to the foreign nations. Trust God. Emmanuel's coming. In chapter 8, the Deliverer is coming. He's going to deliver you. He's going to deliver His people. Trust God to deliver you. Don't put your trust in the foreign nations. And in Isaiah chapter 9, he says, the people who have walked in darkness have seen a great light. And those who have dwelt in the land of deep darkness, to them a light has shone. For unto us a child is born. To us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulders and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and the peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness. From this time forth and forevermore the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Ahaz, don't be threatened. Trust God. He will deliver you. He will deliver his people. And Isaiah would proclaim this. And what would really be a double fulfilling prophecy that this virgin would conceive, this pure woman would conceive and give birth to a son who will faithfully lead the people of Judah, finding more than likely its proximate fulfillment in Hezekiah who would come after King Ahaz, who, yes, would lead them faithfully. Ahaz, don't give in the political and military threat. They will not consume you. Ahaz, trust the Lord, but he would not. And yes... Hezekiah would come and he would trust the Lord and so would another king but ultimately all of those earthly kings would fail and they would not fully trust the Lord as he has commanded. And the prophecy of Isaiah 7 and Isaiah 9 ultimately, ultimately beloved are pointing us to the true and final king of God's people namely Jesus Christ. And you see it in Psalm 20 when David writes, Some trust in chariots and some trust in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. We are a people of faith. And Isaiah is proclaiming, The king is coming to help you. And he will not fail you. He will shepherd you faithfully. And he will not lead you into idolatry like Ahaz has. Instead, he will lead you faithfully. And he will lead you and shepherd you to true worship. 
Ahaz's calls the people to turn and place their trust in other things, in foreign things. And when life gets tough and when life gets difficult, our hearts are tended to do the same. That we'll put our trust in everything else, but instead of trusting the Lord, We'll put our trust in stuff. We'll put our trust in an election, our finances, our 401k, in our surplus, in our health. But the truth is, beloved, we need more than any of these things. We need something deeper. We need hope. In the midst of our calamity, in the midst of our trouble, we need true peace. And it's only found in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And in, in what Isaiah is offering to us, it's so much more than just a name. He said, I want you to know his character. I want you to know his person. I want you to know who this person is. Yes, descriptors. But that's not just his name. He is wonderful. He is mighty. He is a true king. Do you see what Isaiah is getting at here? He wants us not just to see the descriptors or the names of Christ, but the character and heart of God in Christ. But he is a better king who will shepherd his people faithfully. But not only is he a better king, he's also a better son. The miracle of a true son is point number two. The word here for wonderful and wonderful counselor is the word Pele. And as you search this word in the scripture, it has overturns of the unexpected or something working beyond human effort or bearability. It's most noted and used in the book of Exodus where God is doing incredible and miraculous works. These God-sized moments throughout the history of his people. And you think about the story of Israel. The great tragedy of the people of Israel was Israel's unfaithfulness to God. And what Isaiah is proclaiming to us is that though Israel was unfaithful, God's surprising plan is about grace and glory even for a rebellious people. You think about it. God has promised to Abraham that through his descendants the whole world will be blessed. And that from his lineage, that then the throne of him, on the throne of David, that he would lead the world into salvation. Yet Israel, time and time and time again, sinned. And Israel can be characterized when one word, faithless. They were unfaithful of following the Lord as he has commanded them to. And so the story continues and time goes on. Will God be faithful to a faithless and sin-filled people? And time goes on and, and Israel begins to lose hope. That's the picture that you see in the, in, the, in, in, in the prophecies of Isaiah and all throughout the prophets. Is that Has God forsaken His people? Has God forgotten about His people? Has their sin discredited them? Has it counted them out? Is God going to overlook them now? And what's going to happen to God's faithfulness? And Isaiah begins to begins his prophecy in this way with ah sinful nation people of iniquity you've blown it Israel you're so sinful God 
could just look over you. He'd just go over you. They've forsaken the Lord. You've despised the hope of Israel. They're utterly estranged. And the question for the people of Israel is, have we been forgotten? Is God going to be faithful to His promise? And the answer to that question is, yes, He will. But it won't be because of Israel's faith. It will be because of God Himself making things right. God begins to unpack this prophecy through the prophet Isaiah that says, the Lord Himself will do this. The Lord Himself will come and deliver you. There there is not one in Israel that's faithful enough to fulfill what I've commanded of you. So I'm going to come and I'm going to do it for myself. And he says, I'm going to do it for my namesake. My faithfulness is on the line here. And my glory is on the line here. And I'm not going to give my glory to another. So the Lord Himself will come and deliver His people. And in spite of all the sinfulness, despite of all the sin and the condemnation that Israel deserved, God would not abandon or forsake His people. Instead, this miracle would happen. That God wouldn't abandon them. God would still deliver them. Isaiah 25, O Lord, You are my God. I extol You. I exalt You. I will praise Your name. For You have done wonderful things. Despite Israel's sin, God still continues to do wonderful things through them. And it's not because of for their sake, God says. It's for His own name's sake that He does it. Because He has sworn an oath. And He says, I will accomplish it. And I will do it. And it's not for your glory. It's for mine, God says. And I will be faithful. And in the utter calamity of Israel's sin and disobedience, the miracle is that God had not forsaken His people. That's a miracle. And more than that, that God would accomplish it for them. And then you open up John 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. That's a miracle. That's an absolute miracle. That your sin should have discredited you. Your sin should have counted you out. God could have and would have been absolutely just to just pass us over. In the middle of the mess of this world, (laughs) the middle of the mess of the chaos in this world, all of the brokenness that's here, God could have just said, good luck, I'll leave you in it. And the miracle... The miracle of the incarnation is that God in the flesh, God Himself stepped into our mess, into our brokenness, in the mess of our world, enters in the miracle of God in the story of humanity in the world. It is an absolute miracle what has taken place in the manger. God in the flesh coming to reconcile the world. And He does it for His own namesake, His glory. He will not give to another. 
God says, I'm going to do it. I'm going to accomplish it. I'm going to take care of the salvation of my people for myself. And so he sends his son, God in the flesh. He does it. And look at the language in Luke 2. My glory I will not give to another, and this will be a sign to you. You will find the baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God. Glory to God in the highest. All praise belongs to Him. God had done it. The miracle that was in the manger. And we'll be tempted, and you'll be tempted to walk right by it and pay it no mind. You'll get so busy, it's all there'll be more distractions than you'll need this this Christmas season. To say there's sickness, there's loss, there's death. I lost my job. I, the, the world just doesn't seem right. The world just seems like a mess. May I remind you that into the mess was the miracle of God through His Son. And in the middle of the mess of this year and the mess of this Advent, may we be reminded of the miracle in the manger. That God in the flesh, do you realize what's at stake here? Do you realize that God did not come if this miracle, if this miracle had not happened, you would live and you would die and you would be condemned in your sin. If it weren't for Christ, the God-man, Jesus Christ, fully God, fully man, the only sacrifice that could appease the Heavenly Father, dying in your place, it's a miracle. It's a miracle in the manger. And don't walk by it. And don't forsake the reality of what's happened. God has come in the flesh. That's why we love John 3.16. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whosoever believes in it should not perish but have everlasting life. John 17, 3.17 goes on. For he did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that through him the world might be saved. Israel's unfaithfulness would not be the end. Judah's sin would be forgiven. Your sin would be forgiven. Your sin would not remain victorious. And even though it looked like defeat, it looked like a mess, it looked like chaos, in the midst steps a miracle. God in the flesh. Jesus Christ. The miracle of a true son. Not only the better king, a better son, finally as we close, the manifold wisdom and power of God. A counselor is someone who is able to make wise plans for his people. He knows how to make decisions beyond mere human capabilities. And unlike the foolishness of Ahaz, this coming counselor will shepherd God's people faithfully. This is what Isaiah says in 28, 29, that he is a wonderful in counsel and excellent in wisdom. 
And the language that's here is very similar to that of Proverbs chapter 8, where wisdom is personified. And Isaiah begins to unpack this notion of the wisdom or the counsel of God that God will bring through his deliverer. He starts in Isaiah chapter 1, after announcing the sinfulness of the people, he says, I will restore your judges as at first and your counselors as the beginning. After you shall be called the city of righteousness, the faithful city. Isaiah begins to, he begins to rebuke those people that are wise in their own sight, shrewd in their own eyes. And then he comes in Isaiah chapter 11 and he is unpacking this wisdom, this counselor, and the fullness of who he is. He continues to unpack this throughout his prophecy. But just a pointer here. Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 and 2. There shall come from a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and of might, the Spirit of knowledge and of fear. Fear of the Lord. In other words, this faithful and wise shepherd is going to come. He's not going to be wise in his own eyes, but instead he's going to be faithful to the Lord and he's going to follow him fully. And he's going to come from the stump of Jesse. And Paul is very clear in Romans 15, 12, that that root is Christ. That the root from the stump of Jesse is the person of Jesus Christ. And you see it in Revelation 5 and Revelation 22. This is Revelation 5, 5. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered, so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. Revelation twenty two sixteen. 16, I, Jesus, I have sent my angels to testify about you to these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. Very clear. Jesus is the prophesied one in Isaiah 9. It is from the book of Isaiah that you see from the root of David there will come one who will shepherd and be a wise counselor to his people. And the root is Christ. His name is Jesus. Isaiah 9 is declaring to us there is coming the very wisdom from God. Not like Ahaz that will lead his people to idolatry. Instead, he will lead them to the faithful worship of God. There will be a true shepherd of God's people. And he will lead them in godly wisdom. And he will lead them faithfully and shepherd them well. This is why the Apostle Paul would say in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 22-25, he says, For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. A stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, watch this, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. In order to be a true, faithful counselor for God's kingdom, this shepherd would need God's wisdom. And the only one who could is Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, his son. The only one qualified was Jesus. And the only one who is, is Christ. 
And Jesus, us, as a New Testament, New Covenant people, His command to us is to what? Follow. Follow Him. Follow in His kingship. Follow in His lordship. Follow into this everlasting kingdom. You know as well as I do, the decisions of a king will make or break a nation. If that king is, is faulty, it will lead their people into fault as well. The idolatry of Ahaz would ultimately defile the people of Judah's worship. But a true king, a better king, namely Jesus Christ, invites us to follow him in his kingdom and his reign in the world. And so what does it mean for us that we would call Christ our wonderful counselor? It means that we will follow him in his kingdom. It means that we follow him in his kingdom that seems so upside down and otherworldly. It's not like the kingdom of this world. Jesus would th- say things to his followers, if, if the first will be last and last will be first. If you want to be called great in my kingdom, you'll be servant. And what it means to follow Christ, our wonderful counselor, is to follow him in this backward calling of living within the kingdom of God instead of for the kingdom of this world. It means being sensitive to his leadership and his lordship and following where weakness is actually strength, where surrender is really victory, where death is where life is found. And if you followed Christ, any of you that have followed Christ, your wonderful counselor, you know that this is true. That you would have the audacity in following your wonderful counselor to forgive those who hurt you. But that's what the Lord has called us to. It's what he's called us to in his kingdom. To extend grace to those who don't deserve it. Yet this is what he calls us to. To love the unlovable to swallow your pride and humbly repent. To go against your flesh even though it's hard. And to put to death the things of the flesh. And to follow in accordance with the Spirit of God. To not live in isolation or not live in a, in a sense of autonomy, but instead submit to one another and serve one another. This is what it looks like to live in the kingdom of God and to follow our wonderful counselor. This is how he leads us. This was his way of life. This is the wisdom of God for us. He is the wonderful counselor. And he is our hope in the midst of a season where all hope seems lost. In the midst of political turmoil, in the midst of national turmoil, in the midst of brokenness all around us. Isaiah would declare to us, it says, Behold, a child is born, a son has been given. And his name, his name, but also his person, he's wonderful counselor. He'll counsel you. And he does. He gives us hope. And he'll counsel and shepherd you. He is our wonder-filled and our all-wise counselor who will shepherd and lead us through all of life's most difficult moments. When hope seems lost, he fills us with hope. When calamity comes, he fills our 
hearts and our minds. And he will shepherd us faithfully. And he will lead us faithfully. He will counsel your soul. And when you breathe your last and your soul gives way to an everlasting city, he will shepherd you beyond. He will always shepherd you. He will shepherd you through the deepest pain of this holiday season. When there's family turmoil, when there's unforgiveness, when there's heartbreak and heartache, when you can't see the person that you love, our wonderful counselor is there with you. And he's shepherding you. And he will walk with you through that. He will counsel you when life seems hopeless and when all seems lost. And when you're dead in your sin, beyond hope, should have been written off altogether, there's a miracle that came to reconcile you to your heavenly Father. I wonder if you need his counsel today. I wonder if you need to be reminded of the hope that he brings. I wonder if you need to be reminded of the restoration that he brings, the counsel that he gives, the miracle that he is. If that's you today, I would invite you to respond. To respond that maybe you need counsel in what it means to be reconciled to your heavenly father through the person and work of Jesus Christ. Maybe you need his counsel to be reminded of the hope that you have because of Jesus Maybe you need to be reminded of the restoration that you have because of the work of Christ. However God is leading you, may we respond together and may we be reminded of this child, of this son, of this wonderful counselor, God in the flesh, Jesus. Well, as always, thank you for listening, and we hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Prospect Sermons podcast. Once again, I'd like to say a word of thank you to Nathan Posey for providing the intro and outro music featured on the podcast today. And if you would like more information about Prospect Baptist Church, you can visit our website, prospectbaptistchurch.org, or you can find us on Facebook by searching Prospect Baptist Church, Fayetteville, Tennessee. And if you live in the Fayetteville area, we would love for you to join us in worship on Sundays at 1030 a.m. Please note that our in-person services will resume on November the 29th of 2020. If you're not comfortable joining us at that time, we understand and please know that we are live streaming our services on Facebook Live. We do hope to see you soon and look forward to you worshiping with us. Until next time on the Prospect Sermons Podcast. Thank you.